You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, if you want to find a seat. Fantastic. Well, I am, uh, I'm actually not preaching this morning, and I'm excited to introduce our, uh, our preacher. <laughs> oh, thanks, Josh. Um, I, I'm excited to introduce our preacher today. One, one of the things, if you're new to our church, you might not know, is that we run a pastoral apprenticeship program. And we are really, really passionate about training up and equipping leaders to lead the church. Yes, here in our own home church, but also to send pastors and, and leaders out uh, to pastor around the world and in our country, in Canada. And so we run this program. We've been able to raise up 25 pastors over this last five years through our pastoral apprenticeship program, which is really cool. Many of them serving in our church or have gone on to lead in other contexts. And so today, you actually get to hear from one of our pastoral apprentices. And, uh, and so these are, these are the, the batch that are serving this year. You've probably seen them serving in different contexts, in youth ministry or here at Mariner or Rail City or wherever you are. You've probably seen one of these guys just serving and giving their all. And uh, so what a privilege to get to invite Daniel to come up this morning. So would you, would you welcome him as he comes to the stage? Come on, bro. I'm going to pray, and then I'll turn it over to Daniel. Lord, thank you for, for Daniel. Thank you for bringing him to our church. Thank you for the gifts that you've placed inside of him, the heart for others, the heart for your church, the heart for scripture. And so this morning, as he shares your word, I pray that it would speak to us. Give us ears to hear and a heart that is open to receive what you would have for us today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 Go get him. Thanks, Sam. <clears throat> That was a big deep breath. Well, good morning, everyone, and happy New Year's Eve. Thank you, thank you. For those of you who don't know me, as Sam mentioned, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastoral apprentices this year. So before we turn to the passage, to the sermon, I had a simple question for you guys this morning. Who here has made a New Year's resolution in the past or plans on making one tomorrow? Maybe just a little show of hands. <laughs> I won't bite. I know I'm new, but it's okay. So I see a few people, yeah? A few people haven't. And some of you may not be familiar with this custom. So let me explain it, uh, explain what people often do at this time of the year. You see, a New Year's resolution is a tradition in which a person resolves to continue good practices, change an undesired trait or behavior, accomplish a personal goal, or otherwise improve their behavior at the beginning of the year. These resolutions can consist of going to the gym more, walking more, eating less, spending less, or maybe just spending more time with family or taking time off of work. And these are good things, right? But making changes to our daily rhythms or Leaving old habits behind is, is really hard, isn't it? According to Forbes magazine, approximately 80% of people who have made a New Year's resolution on January 1st will fail by February. Now that stat's pretty discouraging. I know for myself, going back to the gym has been a New Year's resolution I've had for several years now. And uh, 
can't tell already, I'm still working on it, but I'll let you know that it's my goal every single year. And so I wonder, why is it so hard for us to keep our New Year's resolutions? Am I not trying hard enough? Am I not putting enough effort in? And I bring this up because the passage we're about to read together, Paul touches on this very thing. What if it's not about our effort? What if there's something else that we're missing? So if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Philippians 3, verse 12 to 16? Philippians 3, verse 12 to 16. And in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as we read his word? So, Philippians 3, verse 12 to 16. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> so to give a little historical context, the book of Philippians is a letter written to the, by the Apostle Paul while imprisoned in Rome to the church in Philippi, the persecuted church in Philippi. Now during this time, the church in Philippi was experiencing external suffering at the hands of Rome and internal quarreling within the church. The early church experienced a lot of misunderstanding and criticism. And as a result, those who followed Jesus became afraid. And a lot of them began to abandon their new faith and started to revert back to Judaism because Judaism was considered a legal religion at the time. It was safer. To ditch Jesus altogether meant that nobody would be against them. Whereas being a follower of Christ felt a lot more uncertain. And it required a lot more from them. There are risks involved, huge risks. And people don't often like to take risks in life. This is the church of Philippi. And in the passage that we just read, the apostle Paul tells them, brothers, sisters, in Christ, press on to obtain the goal. So as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of hiking. Now, I don't necessarily think I'm a short guy. I'm about 5'9", sometimes 5'10", depending on what shoes I'm wearing. But I often find myself to be the shortest guy in my non-Filipino friend groups. And in one instance in particular, I had a group of friends who are mainly made up of Scandinavian boys. And if you know a Scandinavian, you know how tall they can be. And if you are a Scandinavian, and you are tall, well, good for you. 
See, for reference, one of their steps was equivalent to three of mine. And so they invite me on this hike somewhere out in Whistler. And honestly, I was pretty confident in my stamina. I actually considered myself to be quite fit. But I tell you, as soon as we started this hike, these boys started gunning for it. I mean, just absolutely blazing through this trail. And then there's little old me way far back in the mountain, absolutely exhausted, thinking to myself, are we going to take a break soon? How much longer to the top? I just wanted it to be over. Because I'll be honest, when I'm miserable and something is so hard, all I want to do is give up. Do you ever feel that way? Maybe it's just me. And I think this is what the church of Philippi was feeling. It was really hard to be a Christian. What was the whole point of this? Is Jesus really worth it? And Paul says, yes. But why does Paul say yes? Why does Paul say that Jesus is worth the risk? Well, we see it earlier in this chapter. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of surpassing worth of knowing my Lord. For Paul to know Jesus as intimately as he could was worth the risk to him. Worth more than his status, his achievements, his wealth, his safety, and even the way people viewed him. He is addressing a church who is feeling the immense pressure and the temptation to go back to what may have felt secure and safe. Remember, being a follower of Jesus was not popular at this time. Being a follower of Jesus meant that you were different, that you didn't fit in. You weren't going to be like everyone else. And Paul's response to that, he says, that's okay. But why? Why is that okay, Paul? Well, I think what Paul is trying to say is that knowing Jesus and our relationship and faith in him is far better than anything this world could ever offer. Now, perhaps there are some of you here today, as you reflect on this past year, who have failed, who have failed somewhere in your marriage, in your parenting, in your relationships, or in your walk with God. Maybe some of you have been scared to share your faith in fear of being mocked or harassed. And, and maybe some of you have been hurt or betrayed, or discouraged, or disappointed by others. And it feels hard to press on. And you fear that you may not be able to keep following Jesus. See, Paul isn't trying to push the idea that the church shouldn't be fearless because there was nothing to fear, no. There was plenty of things to fear for the church of Philippi. But rather, human beings were designed to live without fear, not because of fearless circumstances, but because of relationship. 
To know Christ isn't just about having head knowledge about him, but to know him personally and relationally. It means to know him as children and parents know each other or wives and husbands. Knowledge that has to do with personal experience and intimate relationship. It is such knowledge that makes Christ trustworthy. This was the goal of Paul. This is the goal Paul wanted for him and all other believers, was to know Jesus. I love this analogy Tyler Staten of Bridgetown Church gives for this idea of relationship. Think of a small child who is entirely unaware of need or insecurity. A child can grow up in their early years to a mom and dad who struggle to keep food on the table at night, can grow up in the midst of a particularly rough, crime-ridden neighborhood, and can grow up with parents who are on the brink of losing their job or losing their house to foreclosure. But the child can't feel, can feel none of that anxiety. Why? Because of the relationship to a provider, to mom and dad. The child doesn't think about where the food comes from at night. It's just brought to them and is on the table. They don't think about what is going on outside the front door, just what is going on within their home. And that is not because they were born into the world without fear. It is because of the one whom they were born into relationship to. You and I were made for relationship with Jesus. We were made to trust him. Trust him with our past, with our future, and trust him right now. But what if we can only fully trust in him when our knowledge of him moves from our head to our heart? When intimacy with God becomes something that we can experience. Let's go back to the passage. In verse 14, Paul pleads with the church of Philippi to press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what is the goal? As mentioned earlier in the chapter, in verse 10, the goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And what is the prize for the follower of Jesus? It is the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake everything we put our confidence in for our sense of worth, significance, or security is counted as loss. Now what Paul is trying to say in this passage is that straining towards the prize will require us to focus. In his words, to obtain it and to make it his own. Paul is emphasizing an urgency in how we move towards this goal like an athlete whose eyes are utterly fixed on the prize. Now, I don't know about you, but this call from Paul sounds extremely daunting. And we might imagine that Paul, over the dynamic years of his epic life, had attained this goal. Yet Paul is quick to confess that he hasn't reached it yet. In his words, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul was totally captivated by God's love. And I think he understood that he was fully loved. 
fully known, fully seen and fully forgiven despite his, his shortcomings. And yet he knew that even the best of his efforts could never repay what Christ Jesus had done for him. He was aware that until Christ returned, all of his efforts after holiness, after the work of the gospel, after the eventual goal of resurrection are not things he does to make God pleased with him. God had already made him his own. Paul's Paul was Jesus's, and Jesus was Paul's. So where do we go from here? What does this text have for us as we step into this new year, 2024, tomorrow? Well, I think there are two things. First, it is challenging, and secondly, it's full of hope. It's challenging because if the apostle Paul, who had brought thousands of people to faith at that time, says that he had not reached the goal yet, then I think it's safe to say that none of us have either. Yet to all of us, Paul would say strain towards the goal of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus totally and wholly and fully until his return. And that's not easy. And we're sure to fail time and time again. I know I have. But he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. And number two, this text is full of hope. It is full of hope because this journey of faith does not start, end, or is sustained by you. It is Christ alone. Christ in you is the one who will bring it to completion through the work of his spirit. And for those of you who are still contemplating and don't quite understand what following Jesus will look, will look for you or mean for you, all he needs is a yes. There is a God that wants to call you his own. His arms are wide open and he's waiting for you. So as we step into this new year, what is your deepest desire from Jesus? How would you want him to transform you this year? What have you been striving for? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your workplace? Is it in your career? In your parenting? Where have you been striving and not inviting Jesus into? What if this year we desired to be transformed by God's empowering presence? transformed in such a way that pursues Jesus with all and trusts Jesus in all that we do. To echo the words of Paul earlier this chapter, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. There's this quote from Pastor A.W. Tozier that I really like, and he says, the impulse to pursue God originates with God. But the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. And all the time we are pursuing him, we are already in his hand. We are already in his hand. It is my hope and prayer that you would pursue Jesus this coming year and the years to come 
because he is worth it. Would you bow down with me as we pray? Yeah, Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness this past year and also your faithfulness for this upcoming year, Lord. And Father, as we step into this new year, God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see you, see you for who you truly are, see you in the little things and the big things. God, would you give us ears to hear your still small invitation to come and know you? And Father, would you give us hearts to yearn and desire to be in continuous relationship with you? And Lord Jesus, I thank you that despite our best efforts, there is nothing that could ever separate us from your love. Bless your people here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.